Hello, everyone, and welcome to Archives and Futures Season 2. My name is Ivan Lozano. I use he, him, or they, them pronouns, and I am so happy to be back. This season is a partnership between us, Archives and Futures, and the DePaul Art Museum here in Chicago. We're calling it the Latinx American Podcast to accompany the exhibition Latinx American on view at the DePaul Art Museum from January 7th to August 15th, 2021. The exhibition features 38 Latinx artists from Chicago and beyond, and each one of the 10 episodes will feature one of those artists in that show. Please check them out as we publish them every other Friday. Also, I wanted to let you know, the DePaul Art Museum Latinx American Exhibition and its accompanying programs like this one are being provided through the generous support of the Andy Warhol Foundation for the Visual Arts. Thanks, Uncle Andy. You can find more about the exhibition and upcoming events at artmuseum.depaul.edu. And please share, subscribe, and rate this podcast so that we can reach a wider audience. With all that out of the way, let's jump into our first interview. I had the enormous honor to interview an artist from a previous generation that is still making really vibrant work. A Chicago images painter that hasn't gotten the attention I think his work deserves, but who hopefully has a lot more of that coming his way, Errol Ortiz. So let's get started with season two. And here's my interview with Errol Ortiz recorded via Zoom on November 16, 2020. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy. I'm Errol Ortiz. I was born in Chicago, 1941. I'm 79 years old. I was born on the South Side and then we moved to the North Side and I consider myself as a uh, painter, artist. Nice, well, Errol, thank you so much for joining me. I'm so excited to talk to you, especially because, uh, you know, there's uh, not that many um, opportunities to sort of talk to people of, of, of generations before me about their experiences in the art world, especially some in somewhere like Chicago. So I'm so excited to talk to you about everything and about your sort of coming up and your experiences with art and growing up in Chicago. Uh, so thank you for joining me. Sure. Um, maybe we can start by uh, talking a little bit about when you were growing up, you know, one of the things that I like to ask people is what their first aesthetic experiences were. So when you first started sort of like recognizing art or sort of visual experiences, um, for me, for example, it was like going to mercados and going to churches and having those sort of like interactions with color and with shapes. What was that like for you? Uh, well, my father's an artist and he, uh, when he got out, out of the service, he started going to the Art Institute uh, in the evening classes around uh, 46. We were living, that's when I actually became aware of painting because he would bring home a painting and be working on it. And I would ask, I'd watch and then he'd say, well, you, you want to paint on it? And he'd give me a brush with a little paint and I'd get there and, you know, do that, do that on it. And I, I think he probably fixed it later. <laughs> I don't think he took it back to me. And, uh, he started bringing, he used to always bring art books home. Nice. And I just got very fascinated in looking at pictures. I would drive my mom nuts, especially with the Italian names. How do you pronounce this? And then she would tell me, just look at the pictures, would you? And it, I just got very fascinated with it. And uh, now don't laugh at this. One of the people that really fascinated me was Leonardo da Vinci. 
Yeah, I mean, I, yeah. But, yeah. I was just so fascinated with this man, how he could draw. You know, and I'd look at my stick figures and, hey, well, I'm never going to draw like that. But then I was flipping through the pages and I seen the guy drew weapons. And I says, well, I can draw weapons. So, you know, that's how I got it. And uh, Art was always around us with my father. Even music, I remember he, he'd be painting and listening to opera. Opera. Yeah, and he, he was in, he had a, a lot of uh, Hispanic musicians that were used to play jazz and stuff. And they would come over and uh, play at our house and stuff. So I think nice. all of that just influenced me. And he would, uh, as I got a little old, well, we always went down to the Art Institute as kids. We'd, we'd meet him, uh, especially when he, then he went full time okay. in the evenings. I know how the guy did it. He went to the Art Institute full time, went to work at Limburg Steel Heat Treating, which was like a, uh, a steel mill. He'd work there from uh, five in the evening to midnight, come home, sleep, get up and go to school, be at school at nine o'clock in the morning, full time. For That's four amazing. years he did this. Yeah. But yeah, after he, I, he we would uh, meet him. Uh, sometimes he would have a Friday off and we would meet him in Grand Park and we'd go to the free symphonies or we'd go in the Art Institute. I would just wander around and something he would take me sometimes on a Saturday there and tell the guards it was okay. I could just wander around. Well, he had to use the library. I That's just loved library. wandering around looking at the paintings. And uh, first time I actually ever, uh, I was always drawing, doodling, I call it more. In fact, I got in trouble. I drew on some brand new wallpaper my grandfather put up <laughs> with my aunt's lipstick. <laughs> <laughs> and luckily it came off with this stuff, you yeah. know, pink stuff. It, it was flowers and roses, so within it blended in. So two days later, I did the same thing on the kitchen wall, and that ended my career as a mirrorless. <laughs> I was warned, <laughs> you better not do this anymore. But I, I, they had a contest. I, I don't know if you're familiar with the New World. It was a Catholic newspaper. Okay. I was in seventh grade. They had a contest where they wanted a painting of the Blessed Mother. So I went home and did a painting, and they didn't expect anything else. I, got a call down to the office. I figured I was in trouble or something. She says, you're painting one second place in the thing. So I went down there and, you know, and I, ever since I've always been painting, you know, I used to get uh, pieces of masonite and go out in the alley and paint the, the weeds and stuff. And slowly I developed into, you know, it just sort of was never pushed in it. I think the my dad did it sublimity, you know, kept all artwork around and it just had a tremendous influence on me. Do you remember what kind of art or what, um, or specific like shows or pieces that you were sort of like gravitating towards when you were going to the Art Institute when you were young? I, I went there only two years and that was the evening. I wanted to, I, I was studying with a man Claude Bentley. I don't know if you're familiar with his work. Very abstract. Okay. You could look him up. I think you'll find very abstract. I was very influenced by him. But I, I wanted to take up figure drawing and stuff. And uh, so I went there and took figure drawing in the evening classes. And then I, uh, I would Saturday classes too. I studied with, uh, uh, I can't think of his name right now, but I took uh, 
modeling, clay modeling with him. And then I studied with a man, Douglas Kraft. Who okay. was there. I think I really enjoyed his class out of all the classes I had, because he had us do things like uh, 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 draw in the form of the cubists and stuff and sent us out to do watercolors out in, you know, out in Grand Park and stuff and that. But while I was at the Art Institute, I was uh, still painting very abstract. Then I, uh, one of the teachers there wanted me to go full time. And I told him, yeah, and he, he says, well, send in your transcripts from school. And he says, where's your transcripts? They says, didn't they come? Well, I never graduated high school. And uh, so he says, you know, I think I could get you in without them. And I started thinking, I got to take academics, don't I? So I went to Mexico <laughs> for nine Mexico? months, which was, was a good idea. And in fact, when I was in Mexico, I, I did two landscape paintings. I did a lot of uh, painting on paper. I, I threw it out and I was trying to develop more of a figurative thing. Then when I came back to Chicago, I, uh, I, I have slides that are worked. A lot of that work's lost. Yeah. But, uh, uh, sort of figurative coming into the things, uh, you know, people, but still kind of abstract. And then one day I was an entered contest and I, I, uh, I don't know what made me do it. I picked up my T-square and started measuring things on this huge canvas. I think it was six foot by four. And I drew these birds, very hard edge, almost had an airplane feeling. And I entered it and it got accepted. And then I slowly started, if you look at my later work, like, I don't know if you've seen uh, astronaut target, target astronauts. I started developing into that. And I think my mechanical drawing years at Lane and architectural drawing had a tremendous influence in my artwork. And that's yeah. slowly I started developing into that. And for color, I've always had this thing for color. I would go into the store and open up the boxes of crayons and just look at the dots. <laughs> yeah. You know, even now, now where I paint, I can look out my neighbor's yard and he, he's got all different shades of different grasses growing there. There's all these different shades of green. I just love watching as the sun goes over, changing the co colors. Was your house very colorful when you were growing up? Uh, well, I, I grew up uh, with Hispanic side, which was kind of colorful because my dad always had the uh, Spanish, uh, the Mexican, uh, what do you call it? Like poncho around with color. Oh, yeah, like the rugs. Yeah, and there's always color because there's always paintings there. Then I grew up, uh, when he went full-time at the Art Institute, we moved back to the North side, which my mother is German and Polish. Okay. So the household there was very Polish. So there was color there. Yeah. Colorful wallpaper, uh, colorful doilies on the couch and stuff. So I, I just I just always loved color. Even in school when we would paint, I would just make everything a different color. Now you mentioned that you went to Mexico there and you did a little bit of painting. Do you remember where in Mexico you were and what? Oh you yeah, were? I was in a small town, Apicel de Alto. And the that's, state the, of yeah, that's where your dad grew up, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. In fact, I got a lot of relatives there still. 
Actually, I, I tell you the truth, I did more drinking tequila than pulque. <laughs> and pulque, <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. yeah. <laughs> had, had a lot of fun. It was very, got to go to Mexico City a few times, you know. Oh, what a place. I hung around. Yeah, I went to that place where all the mariachis go. I can't, oh, that's, I love that place. Yeah, talk about color. Did you get a chance to see, for example, like the work of the muralists or other work that was being made? Uh, some of it outside of Mexico, see by the uh, university. Yeah, yeah. I, I saw the pyramids. I I did go to some bullfights. That was a big thing, uh, um, go to nice. Celaya. Yeah. Very, you know, we would go and, uh, with the guys and we'd order, they'd order a half of uh, goat and they would roast it and we'd eat goat and drink tequila and have Ooh. beers and then go to the bullfights. You know, I, I would hang out with the farmers. I would go out in the fields with them. And even though I couldn't speak much, hardly any Spanish, we still got along. And I had some of the greatest lunches out there because their wives would bring them the lunch out there, you know, in the pots. The, uh, yeah, it's amazing over there. Yeah, it was, in fact, the town when I was there only had three phones. The one phone was in the police station, which everybody would use. The mayor had one, and my one uncle had one who owned about owned the pool hall, the uh, bus, the buses, and a couple stores and about four or five ranches. So he was pretty well off. But nice. uh, I didn't get along with him too well. I got along good with my uncle Agapito. He was more of a partier. My other uncle, <laughs> I, I don't think he liked the the. The gringo there drinking. <laughs> <laughs> when I came back, what drew it together was the Chicago and Vicinity show. I don't know if you're familiar with that. What's the yeah. thing they have at the Art Institute? Well, everybody would enter it, so everybody that got rejected, we just we decided. Well, I was I knew the people who did. It. We formed shows, big shows. So anybody who got rejected could enter the show and we would exhibit all over. And uh, that's how, when I came back, I knew a lot of the people already, like Ed Paschke, I knew him from school. These are guys we used to go out and have beers with and go to ball games with, Carl Worsham, mm -hmm. uh, Jim Nutt, I knew we used to play handball together. Uh, uh, his wife, which I don't know real well, but it, that's what drew everybody together. Then I uh, met Don Baum, and through him, I, I got to exhibit in a lot of places. You know, I was in that show, we were looking for artists at the Museum of Contemporary Art, and then- uh, Chicago and East Famous Artists, yeah. Yeah, I got a show with Marjorie Dell, and things just blossomed from there. When we used to get together, we didn't talk about art that much. We would look at each other's art, and then we would uh, talk about some of the guys were in the wanted to do some films. We did talking on that, nice. but uh, uh, we we would just hang out, go around, you know, go to the different art galleries and look. But I don't ever remember actually sitting down talking to one of them about my artwork. They would look and nod their head. <laughs> you know, that was it. We if you got a nod, you knew it was okay. I guess. Yeah. You know, that's what we did. And I got along with a few guys. I, I can't remember their name. I don't know what happened to them, but we're Hispanic. And I wish that people would have talked Spanish because when I came back from Mexico, I was picking it up, but everybody spoke English. Yeah. Even my dad, they never spoke. They would speak Spanish, but when they would talk to me, well, I'd be with my uncle Mondo and Beto. 
and they'd all be speaking Spanish. And all of a sudden they turn here, oh, let's play catch or something, you know. I don't know. They do you I, think that that was something they did on purpose? Because I know that, like, you know, a lot of um Mexican families when they would come over, there was sort of a um like on purpose they wouldn't teach their, their kids Spanish because they didn't want them to to have that. It was a sort of a way of like becoming part of America or something. Was that something that happened in your family? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what it was because I was talking to uh, one of the ladies at uh, the National Museum of Art, Mexican Art. Uh, and she was saying she found a lot of people my age who are Hispanic don't speak Spanish or very little. I can swear at you like a champ if you want me to. Forgive <laughs> myself. That's the important part, right? Yeah. Trouble. Yeah, yeah, that's hard. That's what I remember. I could order a beer, but, uh -huh. but I, yeah, they didn't stay, which I kind of, I really regret. Also, uh, you know, like my, my uh, when I was with my mother, my grandmother spoke Polish, but she would always speak English to me too, yeah. mm -hmm. which is kind of sad. I would, uh, you know, I know a few words in Polish, Polish, but aren't the nice ones, <laughs> which I picked up. I don't know why I remember that stuff. One of the things also that uh, I thought really interesting about you was when you took a break from art and you went into martial arts, what was it that drew you to, to martial arts? I've always liked sports. You know, I, I played sports. I, you know, I played football. I wrestled a little. I played a lot of baseball, played handball and bowling. I was always interested in sports. When I used to ride the Ravenswood L, I don't know if you're familiar with it, to go to the Art Institute. Yeah. And there was a place there, it was a guy taught judo. In okay. fact, he was one of the top judo men in the world. I didn't notice till later. And I always wanted to take, because I'd like to take some judo classes. Well, I couldn't, they were too expensive. Well, I had a studio on North Avenue and I had a, uh, my friend next door there, Bob Ellison, who was a, a columnist for the Chicago Daily News, wrote a column, Night Beat and stuff. And he wanted to do a column on uh, karate. And he knocked at my door. He said, hey, you want to take karate lessons with me? I said, yeah, but Bob, I don't have any money. He says, well, let me see. He says, I'll take that painting, that painting, and I'll pay for your lessons. I says, all right. Well, I didn't notice. He signed me and him up for private lessons with this instructor. Uh -huh. Well, I just got really involved in it. And... Uh, it just fascinated me to discipline. So I, I stuck with it. I actually, I, I quit exhibiting it in the wall, but I did a lot of drawing, which got lost too when I, I was at that time. So I, I, I stayed with it and got up to fifth degree black belt. And I uh, was, I, I taught at a YMCA. I taught at my instructor's school. He opened up another school, which I completely took over for a while. But I'm not a businessman. <laughs> I, I people would come in and yeah, you want to sign up here. I, I people would ask me, can you jump over the six foot fence? And I said I don't think so. They <laughs> <laughs> yeah, had illusions about it because of the movies. Right, because of the movies, yeah. But I think it's a great discipline for people. You know, yeah, it gives you a method of self defense and stuff, but. Just the whole discipline, I, I just liked it. And actually, that's how I met my wife. Nice. Was <laughs> she in your classes? Uh, well, she seen me beach training and she signed up where I was teaching. 
Nice. She carried me into it. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah. So anyway, that, that's how I got into the martial arts. In fact, my dad even took it for a while. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, he see, I was taking it, so he wouldn't signed up later on. But, now, speaking of your dad, I noticed. Well, my first experience of your work was we were actually we were both in a show at the uh, at the Mexican Museum here in Pilsen. It was their thirtieth anniversary show, and we both had pieces in it. And then I saw your work in the in the Art Design Chicago show where they showed your piece right next to your father's work as well. What was that uh, like when you started sort of becoming an artist and, 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 and that relationship with your dad? Was he supportive of it? Was he encouraging? Um, what does he think about, what did he think about your work? You know, he never said what he thought, but he was very encouraging. You know, he, he says, do what you want to do. You know, I don't know if you noticed, but my dad was actually a circus performer. Oh, wow. No, I didn't know that. That's amazing. Yeah, uh, he, he was with Ringling Brothers, Barlam and Bailey. He was an unbelievable tumbler. And then when the war broke out, he signed up for the Marine Corps and he got wounded and hurt. He could still tumble, but he couldn't do the routines yeah. and stuff. So. That's interesting thinking also about the martial arts and just that sort of like that discipline. Yeah. And um, he, he was very... You know, he used to always give me paints and brushes and stuff and say, here, go paint. That was the encouragement he would give. Yeah, me. That's, I mean, that's a lot. You know, that's a, yeah. lot, that's a lot more than a lot of people get, especially yeah. I think in like Mexican families, generally, unless they come from one, you know, from a history of like making. And that's one of the things that, for example, for Apaseo del Alto, I think is so fascinating in Mexico, these like towns where like the entire town is dedicated to like a craft or like, yeah. A making you know and i think that's that, that's so inspiring how that can exist yeah well he was always in the art in fact my aunt melda which we don't know what happened to him had drawings that he did when he was a kid now well, i remember they were uh, pencil drawings of kitchen scenes and stuff and i asked my uh, couple of my cousins that knew, lived with her they said we i don't know they didn't know what happened to him so but he was always <laughs> Did you ever try wood carving? Uh, no, I uh, I took clay modeling. That was all. I yeah. never tried wood carving. Maybe someday I will. <laughs> <laughs> there's always time. Yeah, there's a tree out in back. <laughs> <laughs> hey, winter's coming. It's a great time to hunker down in the studio and try something new. Yeah, yeah. No, I never never tried carving. I I love doing watercolors. I don't do a lot. I'm fascinated with the medium. Yeah. Oh. yeah. Printmaking, I wish I would have took, but I didn't take any of that. I had See, to leave the Institute before they pushed me deeper into academics. <laughs> yeah. See, and that's really interesting that you mentioned printmaking because the way that you lay the paint on the canvas often kind of almost looks like a print, you know, because it's so precise and the colors are so, I guess, just like straight out of the tube and undiluted. Yeah, a lot of them. Nice. Yeah. I have done a, a couple. Uh, linoleum cuts which i want to do more but you know i my age is catchy i, I paint and i get tired and then i decided i gotta rest what is your studio practice like um these uh, days i get up in the morning and have my coffee watch news and around nine o'clock in the morning i start painting till about two two thirty three o'clock and then i eat dinner and if there's not no games, not no football games on TV. I 
we turn it off or something that me and my wife don't want to watch, I'll go back and paint a little bit. And that's that's my daily routine. Nice. That sounds pretty great. Do you work on just one piece at a time or do you work on multiple pieces at a time? I, I try working on multiple pieces, but I'm stressed for space and I I uh I, I find it better to stick with one and get yep. it finished. Cause then I start maybe if I had more room I could lay out two separate palettes. Yeah. That would work, but it, I, right now it doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> and what was it like when you came back into the art world? Because sometimes it's really scary to sort of take a step back from it, you know, and sort of feeling like, oh, the art world's gonna forget me or I'm gonna lose a sort of the uh well, you I know, I never I never thought of that. I just decided I, I went out and uh, charged canvas and oils. I mean, uh, acrylics and just started painting. I never, I, I love the exhibit. Don't get me wrong. I love seeing my paintings on walls and people looking at it. But I, I wasn't worried uh, about that. How I got back into exhibiting, the Art Institute used to have a place called the Art Rental and Sales Gallery, which was run by the Women's Association. So I wouldn't enter that and I got into that and I, I got into quite a few times. In fact, I uh, sold a few little pieces there and slowly I got more involved into it. Now I really got involved exhibiting again. Well, I exhibited at some coffee houses and stuff was a uh, the Sandra Adams Gallery. Okay. Which, you know, her husband was quite an uh, art guy and started the gallery and stuff. And uh, anyway, someone, oh, I have, I, are you familiar with Cliff Westerman's work? A little bit, yeah. Okay, my dad and them, they were very good friends. I, I knew him very well. In fact, I have a piece of his sculpture and a bunch of his drawings and stuff. And it's, uh, they were going to have that big show at the Museum of Modern Art in Chicago. And the guy there who was running the show got in touch with me and he says, uh, do you have a Westerman piece? And I said, yes. Yeah. So he came by and they restored it for me and they I was in the show and stuff. And somehow uh, he got talking to the Adams Gallery. They had bought a painting of Louis Ortiz, a portrait of him by Westerman. And he told them about he told me about them. And so I went down to the Adams Gallery during the summer with my wife and they were uh, closed. So I went there in the fall and I walk in. I says, do you have a piece by a man named Louis M. Ortiz? And they said, yeah. And they, they said, do you know? I said, yeah, I'm his son. They almost fell over. They couldn't believe it. They wanted to find out more about him. Well, his is a black and white uh, outline drawing. My sister has the identical painting, but it's painted in color with the Mexican flag on it. And uh, uh, Westerman was also a Marine. So it's got all kinds of Marine symbols and USS Marines on it and stuff. And, uh, and they came here to look at the Westerman drawings I had and she said she was very interested in the history of the Chicago art. I said, well, I got a bunch of stuff from old shows. And they started looking and started looking at my stuff. 
and say, hey, would you like to have a show? And I said, yeah. So that's, <laughs> I, I'm, not a big, I'm not a big pusher, which is probably bad. I just, you know, uh, don't get me wrong. I, I love exhibiting, but I'm just not. It's like, a lot of work. That's something that I'm not the best at either. It's, you know, sometimes yeah, I just, I, I don't want to like, it's, it doesn't come natural for me to be to, to, to be that to that kind of hustle that a lot of people. Yeah, have. you gotta go to the gallery openings yeah. and, and BS, put in plain English. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. People, you know, I, I'm just not that. For my people will come over here and, and oh, I want to buy that painting. How much you want for it? And I says, well, here goes the old Maxwell Street routine. Uh, Two hundred dollars. Uh, how about one fifty? Okay. Haggling. You know, I just think. You know, I, I think I've had one person come in here and didn't argue prices with me. Right. <laughs> so, but uh, and it's very hard for me to to negotiate like that. I just, you know, here's my price. Let's talk about something else. You know, you like my yeah. have a glass of wine or or you know something. Now I'm also interested. You brought up, you know, of course, you know, with your dad. Um, the uh, the armed forces and i'm interested in how in your older work there was a lot of sort of political content in in the way that you were sort of showing the military devices and military machinery how do you feel about the political aspect of your work well it's very political it's very uh almost anti-war yeah almost glorifying it uh yeah, very sad. See, I, I grew up, it was funny, everybody wanted to get out of being drafted in the 60s. Well, I got my draft notice, quit my job, figuring, well, I'm going to go into service. And three months later, some of the guys I knew from the neighborhood that weren't artists were already being sent to boot camp. So I went down there to find out uh, what's going on here because I quit my job. So I went down there and the lady says, let me look up. And she says, I'm sorry, young man, we can't accept you. And I almost fell over. With joy or with like, or were well, you it was, it was a weird feeling. Cause I, I would have went into service, which, yeah. which I it probably would end up doing a lot of anti-paintings eventually. Cause I, I, I realized we need service and stuff, you know? Yeah. You can't avoid it. It was a strange feeling because I almost bit my tongue off because I didn't want to start laughing in front of her. Because I knew all these guys at the Art Institute that, that, that coming up with unbelievable excuses to get out of the service. And uh, I knew guys that went to, uh, who, who admitted they didn't want to go, which I give them a lot of credit because they were honest about it. They went up to Canada, they didn't want to fight which I give them a lot of credit. They were honest about what they felt. So I'm walking by and there's this Marine recruiter there. And he says, oh, what happened? I says, I got rejected. He says, maybe I could help you. He says, what, is, what they classify you as? I said, one why? And he looked at me and says, I can't help you. And I still, to this day, I have no idea exactly what that classification means. Oh man, yeah, no, I don't either, but. Uh, what's funny is I looked it up. Muhammad Ali was classified as one Y, huh. but then he got a four F. But I guess what I understand what one Y will take you when there's no one left. So we'd probably be in bad shape. So I, I have, you know, I just, 
never win. Yeah. But my feelings about, uh, also, I one reason, see, I've always loved airplanes. I used to love going to the air and water show airplanes. You'll see a lot of airplanes and yeah. missiles, and I turned them into weapons, which they're, they're beautiful things, but they're also what you realize what they're carrying and what they can do, especially nowadays. One of the, I hope I'm not carrying on too far with this. Oh, please do. One of the unbelievable scenes, I was, I, me and my son were going to the air and water show and I was on the L stop, the Ravenswood L on Irving Park. Okay. And I looked down and I see this huge shadow, like a bat flying on Irving Park. And I'm wondering, what's that? And I look up, here's one of these B-50, those big B-52 bombers oh, wow. flying over. And I go, geez, that thing's beautiful. But look at the mass destructive destruction yeah. that thing's carrying. And I think could wipe out Chicago and half of the state and whatever else is around. And I'm wondering, man, what are we doing? You know, we can build these big, massive things and, and we can't help the poor. <laughs> right. Yeah. No. It's 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 really frustrating how. Uh, yeah, it is. The priorities yeah. that seem to to. to yeah. Come. Well, that's there's a lot of money in weaponry. Yeah, there's a lot. I, I would like to see state uh, countries sign agreements, which never has happened, where we will not sell weapons to any other country other than ourselves. You know, it would help. Yeah. Maybe I don't know. Anyway, that's my political feeling but and then I uh, a lot of my stuff the art too is uh dealing with astronauts I'm very fascinated with yeah. that I would love to go to Mars <laughs> which may sound corny but I, <laughs> yeah. uh -huh. it'd be great you know see what's over there yeah why not you know now what was that like in you know because Chicago was also kind of a hotbed of a lot of that political activity you know even oh. yeah in the art institute you know with like Leon Golub he was doing a lot of uh, anti-war stuff. And then, you know, obviously, you know, the images also were, were really sort of, there was a lot of anti-war sentiment at that time. Well, there was a lot of, a uh, lot of, uh, I know a lot of people who were involved in, in yeah. uh, uh, you know, the parades they had and stuff. And um, I, I was bartending part-time at the Old Town Ale House. Okay. And, um, I remember I, I was running at that time when I did, before they had the big riot downtown, you know, the big convention. I was running down there. I used to run uh, in Grand Park, this circle I had. And there must have been about 200 policemen out there all lined up. And I'm running by and I'm like, well, what's something strange about them? And all of a sudden it dawned on me, none of them had their badges on. <laughs> And I thought, well, that's interesting. <laughs> and then that night, the riots broke out on Michigan Avenue, you know, and stuff. In fact, I remember one of the funniest scenes I've seen was I, I looked out on North Avenue. There's these teeny boppers, teenage girls running down the street, and there's this uh, National Guard Jeep chasing them with, an, with a, uh, a nine millimeter rifle bouncing up. up bouncing up and down, there's nobody holding it, but it was bouncing up and down on the Jeep and they're chasing these girls down the street. And uh, it was uh, pretty, it was a strange time. There was all the uh, 
peace movements and uh, you know, uh, that I remember going to couple, couple which were stranger was one I went to and they were complaining about the police being there. And I looked around and at that time I noticed there was a lot of hell's angels around too. And I figured, well, I think they're here to keep the hell's angels out of this or so more than anything. I had to look on the brighter side, but yeah. You know, and um, Old Town was a, uh, you know, all kinds of people there. Right. And, uh, you know, so that, that, I didn't get too, I, I was very against the war, especially now when I read them, what you read about it, how we should have been out of it four years later. Yeah. And I think we should have never gotten involved in it. So that's. I, do you think that other, you know, you mentioned how interested you were in, uh, in planes and in missiles and and um, how else do you see that kind of went into your art? Was there um, like concerted like were you guys sort of getting together and sort of making posters or were you just sort of like seeing things from a distance in the political movement? Did that influence your work? I think we all looked at it from more of a distance. Everybody was painting a little different. Carl Worsen was painting yeah. different. Ed Paschke was painting different. Uh, uh, Jim Nutt was painting different. You know, Pixar Jim Nutt's very early work reminds me of some of Westerman's prints and stuff. He was very, he admits that, very fascinated with his work. Yeah. And, uh, um, I think what drew me towards that is when I was a kid, in in my classes, I was always drawing, designing cars. <laughs> and I, I think it just the design thing, the hard edge, of, you know, helped me a lot. And, uh, and looking at, uh, who was that old master, uh, Leisure, was it? Or? Oh, Leger, the French guy? Yeah, his hard edge stuff. I was yeah. very, very fascinated with his. That makes a lot but, of sense. I never thought about that, but yeah. yeah very. And, uh, also looking at puzzles, you know, and uh, like even looking at the design of uh, crossword puzzles and stuff, you know, and, and uh, remembering looking at the pyramids and looking at pictures of the pyramids, you know, how the steps go up. And That's what I was going to ask you, yeah, because to me, I look at I look at the way that you render forms, and it looks to me a lot like pre-Hispanic art, like the pyramids and the yeah. and the way that they were doing things. It looks like reminds me of weavings a little bit. Yeah, muscles and grids. I think what blew my mind really was looking at artwork. Was one day I started looking at a, I here's a bunch of uh, artwork on Native American art and uh, African art, and it. Dude, I looked at that. It just blew my mind. You know, wow. This Do you remember where you saw it? Oh yeah, at home and books oh. at home. My right. dad would bring them because he'd be. And I think he used to bring extra books home anyway. Because there'd be a pile of them, maybe five, six books. And I, I think he brought them there because he knew I was enjoying just looking at them and stuff. And uh, one, uh, one thing I used to do in school was uh, I'm surprised I'm not a forger. I used to carry a dollar bill with me and I'd be bored with the classes. So I would copy fine drawing of the of the etching of the dollar <laughs> bill. <laughs> you know, got pretty good at it, I thought. Yeah. Oh, maybe I could use this someday, make a few 50s. <laughs> <laughs> I think that, that that's interesting. And I, I think it's also interesting what you mentioned about the books and about art. That's like, 
you know, to put it under an umbrella, like non-Western canon. Yeah. Um, with your work, absolutely. And then I was uh, um, just in general, you know, you mentioned like Jim Nutt and you mentioned some of the other images. Like, it, it looks like, like if you go to the Roger Brown house or if you think of like Ray Yoshida and the things that he was collecting, there was so much of that influence, right? Of like African art, of like Native American art, of like artesanías from Mexico and further south. And uh, it seems like there was a lot of like breaking of, of conventions of how like forms were rendered yeah here in chicago because there was that sort of like freedom to uh yeah to kind of do whatever you want oh i, I think tamayo also influenced me a lot. oh for sure yeah yeah, uh, yeah trying to think uh tamayo uh also what influenced me a lot was the french impressionists the color yeah. and van gogh man i was fascinated with van gogh where he used color and just used it you know and that's the one thing that I, I gotta give uh, Claude Bentley for. He says, just be free with your color. Don't worry about it. So I mean, you're putting brown reds on top of blues and stuff. It was just great, you know? Yeah. Which I think if I would teach an art class, I'd have everybody wear the oldest clothes you got and start just throwing paint on the camera. <laughs> not to That's make not paint, just see what the colors do when they meet and how they, how they play with each other, you know? Now, where did the idea, or not the idea, but again, sort of going back to trying to like remove the the artist's hand almost for the way that things are rendered, that sort of like discipline and, and precision in your work, where do you think that came from? Was that just something that was in the air in Chicago? Not that I'm aware of. I think it just came development slowly uh, doing the things, working, uh, how can I put it? Uh, and the fascination of where did I see this? Uh, oh, Indian, the Native American Indian weaving. You know how it, it just that how that beautiful brown color with the lighter tones of brown just fascinated me. I figured, well, why can't I draw a a square and have things shooting off out of it? You know, like the sun bursting or something and keep it all under control. Maybe I'm a control freak. <laughs> <laughs> I think all artists kind of are in some way. You know, we didn't feel like we needed to do exactly what we need to do. And yeah. well, what's funny is why I paint right now a little in between doing things is my palette and where my e and drawings are, it's all a big mess. But I know where everything's at. But yeah. when I'm done, I gotta stop and put everything back in order. Got to put my colors here, my brushes here, and put away all my old cutouts and drawings. I use a lot of, I, I draw a lot on paper and then trace it onto the canvas because it's easier to erase on the paper than try to do it on the canvas. Yeah, of course. Now, did when you sort of took a break from um, from the studio and then came back, I heard in, a, in, in that, again, that interview with Cesario Moreno that you sort of picked it up and it sort of felt like you just picked up right where you left off. Was it really that simple or, or was there sort of like a different feeling when you were making it? It was pretty simple. I, I wish I had to, I picked up and just started drawing hard edge uh, landscapes <laughs> and painted them in. And, and uh, I don't know, there's a painting at the, uh, uh, DePaul Museum that, have you seen that little one they got of mine? Yes. Okay, that was done, I think they say 1979, 
I think it was actually done 1978. I'm not sure. But I just picked up drawing and painting like that, just like nothing ever uh, left. <laughs> That's really inspiring to me. And I think it's really great to sort of hear that with your work, but I was I was even watching, you know, the, um, the documentary on, on the Harry Who documentary, but they mentioned that, you know, you find your lane, you find what you like to do, you find what you, the way that you make your own work and then you stick with it and that's what you do, right? You, and then, you know, sometimes people will, will be interested in it. Sometimes they might not and, you know, seasons come and go, but sort of staying true to yourself and to your style and having that confidence, I think is really kind of inspiring in your work. Yeah. I. Uh... I've been doing small paintings right now, and I did one small painting, kind of a realistic drawing of a, of a uh, side view of a portrait. And then I drew it left, and then I turned around and drew it to the right side. And I fill, I painted it. You actually have to see it, but it's kind of fascinating. I'm going to try to see if I can incorporate this in bigger paintings. It's like one head in two heads in one painting because you could see the colors going for the head to the right and the colors going head to the left and it it i don't know i will mean, see what happens when i get to do it in a bigger form somehow i was thinking of trying to do it in a big uh, uh figurative thing but i find when i start painting big I start adding political things in them. I don't know why. That's interesting. <laughs> that's <laughs> interesting that that's what sort of comes Especially up. Nowadays, it's very easy to do. Yeah. You know? yeah. But uh, when I do smaller paintings, they're more like masks or portraits. I, I love doing portraits because when I was, I, well, they're very abstract at home. When I was in school, I used to try to draw portraits. I used to have to laugh at them. They were kind of funny. The only portrait I ever did well was uh, of a Asian guy, which actually kind of looked like him. Uh, <laughs> but portraits fascinate because I would sit there and watch, because I one instructor says, watch out, of it. try, you know, they want you to sketch the thing real quick to catch it, but watch in a few minutes how the body has changed. And I'll be watching, I'll say, hey, the guy's muscles moved on me. And the face, especially the eyes, the expression yeah. in the eyes, can change slightly, the mouth, the ears start to droop a little, the hairline comes down, you know. So you gotta be really quick, catch that first thing and then work from there. Well, I don't know, I've been thinking of trying to draw some portraits. I was thinking to try it left-handed because my right hand didn't draw them good. Maybe my left side could, <laughs> which would be interesting. Yeah. How do you feel about time in your work? Because you mentioned just now, you know, the idea that, you know, as you're drawing something, the figure kind of changes. When you're drawing, do you think of sort of movement or time inside of the piece? Or is, is it, do you think of it as like a moment in time? I, I look at it, I look when I'm drawing, it's a, a moment right there I'm thinking. Then when I look away from it, I start thinking, well, different, could I change it? differently in time or how will this be and things will change on my canvas yeah and when i draw i have no idea what my color scheme a lot of times i'll put a background in and see what happens from there nice. or i'll just pick up a color and for well this red would look nice here wouldn't it and then it explodes in my mind that's the only way i could put it just 
and how do you feel about the work once it's done does it sort of like live as like you know sort of a, a presence in the world is it just sort of like an image that you sort of can get out of your mind and move on to other things well every piece i do right away it's my best you know oh this is great my favorite piece and then two days later i look at it eh i could do something <laughs> better i'll try let's see what i could do next you know they do they're good work but they, they i don't have one favorite piece i don't think i look at painting as uh I get that blank canvas in front of me and it's a tremendous challenge. Yeah. This is my challenge. There's no one here to tell me what to do. They can't tell me what to do because I won't let them because I master that white piece. Yeah. And I, it's just a challenge for me to start drawing and see what develops. I think Paul Clay said, pick up a pencil and let it see where it leads you. Yeah, go on a walk with Some them. artists said that. I'm not sure. Yeah. So don't quote me on that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a moment for everybody that's listening. They can figure yeah, out. Yeah, they could look it up and see how yeah. accurate exactly. I am on that. But I, I, I love to see where it takes me, you know. I'll, uh, I'll draw. I'll just start drawing. Uh, like, like I'll draw an outline of a head or... or uh, or leaves or something and just see where I go with it. And what do you what do you hope people get from your work? Well, uh, first of all, I hope they get a kick out of looking at it. And I hope that they enjoy the, the color and the design of it and then look to see if there's more, if it's a a statement or if it's just an object of of something to enjoy uh what i i find kids enjoy my work more than people i think because of the color i i was only in one art fair and the kids would come by mommy mommy daddy look at that look at that look at that and i don't know if the kids knew what they were looking at but they just loved the color and Right, yeah, no, I mean, your colors are very much like comic books or like anime, you know, or Japanese, yeah. you know, cartoons. It's like, they're so bright and the lines are so clean and precise, yeah. Well, I was very into comic books when I was a kid. I used to, uh, I used to uh, take them to school with me and put them in my religion book and read them while they were talking right. about religion. What comic books were you reading? Do you remember? Oh, I would read everything. And I would read uh, Donald Duck, uh, the, the Little King, I would read Superman, you know, all those. Uh, I, one of my favorites was, I, which you don't hear much about, was Plastic Man. Okay, and yeah. It yeah. could stretch. Uh -huh. uh, and I, I would read the classics. I don't know if you remember the classics. They used to have a like, little bit, yeah. They were a little more upper class comic book. They also cost 25 cents. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Shirley, who ran the drugstore, used to let me sit there on the radiator and look through the comic books for free. He nice. never chased me out. But I, you know, uh, Superman, you know, I used to copy the covers of the comic books a lot. You know, just to have fun looking at them. They made more sense to me than, than my classes in school. Well, yeah, I mean, it's the things that were around you and it was the work that was yeah. being done around you too, you know, yeah. reflected the real, the world as it was happening at that point too. Yeah, I've always loved comic books. And, uh, in fact, my sister sent me, she says, you, uh, she, I don't know where she found, some old comic books of Little Lulu. 
I don't know. <laughs> They're kid comic books. He says, you remember us looking at these? I said, I sure do. <laughs> and then when you used to buy bazooka bubble gum, it used to yeah, come the gum. A yeah. comic book wrapper in there. I think I used to buy more bubble gum for that to look at that. <laughs> yeah. What's happening? Uh, great time, you know? Yeah. Now, Earl, I've got a couple of last questions because I sure. want to be respectful of your time. But uh, one of the questions that I like to ask everybody is what advice would you give yourself when you were younger? Or what advice do you wish you would have gotten when you were younger? Oh, geez. I... We could focus it just on art, for example, or on being a maker. I, I don't know. Art was such a thing. I think uh, I probably to uh, do a little better in school. <laughs> I was a terrible student. <laughs> that sounds like the advice your parents would have given you. Yeah, I, I, well, I have, I have a, uh, I have a very, uh, I'm very dyslexic. You wouldn't believe how dyslexic I am. And they didn't know about that in school till uh, right. a little later. And I can remember my poor dad helping me with spelling. He would be so frustrated. I'd spell it one minute, then he asked, how do you spell it? I go, I don't know. And I, I remember one time I studied so hard. I was determined. I could memorize things if I really tried. Yeah. I memorized the spelling test. I got a 90 on it. And the next day, spelling was on Friday to test. Then we would have a review on it. And I got dropped down to like a 20. <laughs> and the teacher accused me of cheating. Cheating, yeah. And I had to, oh, you know, I was only, like, I didn't cheat, I didn't cheat. I was about ready to cry. She says, why did you go down to a 90 to a 20? I memorized them. And she said, that's impossible. The nuns argued. So we did end up that, you know. But uh, I nowadays I probably would have went to the Art Institute full time because they understand the problem yeah. a little better. But I, I I don't know what advice I would uh, take. You know, that's all, that's I, fine too. I mean, we all kind of come to it at our time. Because when I was in high school, I hung around with a bunch of gearheads. You know, if you gave me a wrench in an old car, I probably could take it apart and basically put it together. May not run well, but I know what I'm doing. You know, yeah. I have an idea. And I had an auto shop, aviation shop, uh, you know, two different types of auto shop. We actually worked on cars and stuff. So, but I don't you know what that? advice I would give myself. Yeah. Uh, Maybe not riding fast cars without my parents knowing about it. <laughs> they did a lot of drag racing. Yeah. In Chicago, like in the city limits? Was that something? Uh, that it was on Harlem Avenue, a place called Skips years ago. They, uh, oh, wow. Yeah, there was drag racing going on in the city. I'm kind of secretive, though. <laughs> yeah, I would think so. Yeah. Oh. Now, um, has all the have all the challenges of this year with with COVID, with social unrest? How is that? Has that changed how you think about art or how you make your work? It hasn't changed my artwork. It's changed me a lot because yeah. I uh, I don't socialize. I don't. You know, me and my kids are real close. They they've been by, but we distancing. You know, uh, usually we have these get-togethers with dinner and everything and. 
we always have a poker game. You know, we have our monthly poker game. And I miss that. I, I don't get to, I don't go to restaurants. I don't see anybody around the neighborhood. Right. I, I have some health problems, which we got, which seem to be okay, but you know, Good. just being careful. So I'm very isolated. So, but I don't feel it has affected my artwork so far, you know, maybe if it keeps yeah. up, it might. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting, you know, thinking about the moment now with like all the social unrest that we're seeing, you know, and all the manifestations and protests and then sort of like comparing it, I guess, to like the mid to late sixties in Chicago too, and the sort of the social movements that were happening then. I wonder how that will show up in just all of our work, you know, in the future to sort of see it now with the, with the benefit of, you know, um, the vision of, of, of seeing things in the past and then the rear view mirror. Yeah, I think later it will affect my work once we get more, once we get more sociable again. Yeah. I'll reflect on more. Right now, I, uh, I'm trying to stay away from that as much as possible because I, I do go down into like a depressed mood stuff. Yeah, I don't want to go there. Uh, so, I don't know. Are you feel familiar with Bob Ross, the guy that paints on Channel 11? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, that's meditation right there. Yeah. He wants to paint happy trees. Yeah. Try to paint some happy paintings. I mean, you know, that's 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 one of the amazing things about art. You know, it's definitely yeah. gotten through some really dark times too to just sort of focus on the things that bring you joy and making work about that. Yeah. Well, painting does bring me tremendous joy. It brings me a tremendous challenge. It uh, it it's just my world. You know, once that canvas is there, that's my world, you know, it's going to either conquer me or I'll conquer it somehow, you know. And there are times I have to change the painting that's got the better of me. So I'll have to redo things. <laughs> I swear a lot, which my wife doesn't appreciate. <laughs> <laughs> now, did you ever include words in your work? Language isn't something that usually comes up in your work, is Very, it? Very uh, little, I'm trying to think. I, I, I'm thinking of a piece which uh, I'll tell you about. I don't know. I, I want to get it done. I got these very small paint, uh, pieces. There's four by six. Okay. So I'm going to do a series of lips on there. And then I'm going to cut out the shape of the big lip and then uh, I'll probably do it in wood. Uh, I don't know if you can visualize this and attach the small lips on there and okay. call it Kiss Me If You Dare. So obviously anybody would kiss the painting. I don't yeah. see, but I, I think uh, I think I have used one or two. I'm trying. I don't really remember. I, what about the role of titles? Do you think a lot about the titles in the work? Does that come like easily? No, or it comes very it? hard. Sometimes yeah. I'll have a title right away. My wife helps me a lot with my titles. Uh, in fact, all the little paintings I've done, it's number. Uh, a, B, C, and D, and E, and F with the size. I, I, I just, I find titling my work very hard. Uh, so like one work I've done, which I know if you've seen it, with guns in it, Violent City, that came very easily. Astronaut targets, sometimes it, it comes very easy. Other times uh, it comes very hard. Yeah. Hard, you know, because there's so many things going through my mind. Yeah. Then when I do come up with titles, sometimes it's pretty stupid. <laughs> yeah. 
I, I got to laugh at the title. It's nothing to do with the painting. Does. Yeah, well, that works too sometimes, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> you know, painting's about a feeling. It might be good. People will be like, oh, well, what's that title? will be looking for something that's not there. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I well, good. it works hard for yeah, me. Yeah, titles are hard. Yeah. Now, final question. I also just want to, you know, with how difficult this year has been for most of us, I also just want to like end these conversations on a high note and just ask, what are you excited about in 2021? Is there anything coming up or uh, any um, opportunities or work that you're planning that you're really excited about? Well, uh, I'm excited about moving. Uh, my kids have bought a four flat. My uh, two daughters, no, my, my two sons and one daughter have each of their own apartment. So we'll be moving down into the basement, <laughs> which is actually a garden apartment, which is they're fixing up. I'm looking very forward to that, to moving. And where I'll be able to start, I want to start painting bigger, not super big, but you know, maybe five foot by four, five by six, you know, uh, that I'm very excited about. And I, I, I just hope that this vaccine they're working on helps. Yeah, yeah. fingers uh, crossed for that. Yeah, because yeah, you know, I'm 79 years old. I'd like to socialize with, with a few more people. And I, yeah. I'd like to get a couple more shows, but I, being the hustler that I am, I don't know how that's gonna happen. You know, well, I don't know, Errol. I think that I think that that should be something that you're really encouraged by because I think that your work is just so beautiful. And I think that there's been over the last few years, a, a sort of a, a looking back and seeing like, oh, wait, we missed this. This was really good. And right. I think it also sort of shows in the, the, the um, I don't want to call it the attention, but just the, 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 uh, the way that your work has sort of come up again and you're starting to sort of be in these shows and get this attention. And I'm just so encouraged yeah. by it. And uh, it's so inspiring also to see that, you know, you can keep working for this long and then, you know, at some point your work might come back up and people will start to pay attention to it more. And just well, seeing the way so. that you make your work has been really inspiring to me. Also, I wish some of my older work would pop up, you know, that got lost. I, I don't know if, I, I kind of worried it got destroyed because where it was stored, even the guy had his work there and stuff, and he couldn't find it. So hopefully maybe someone took it and I'll pop up someday. Yeah, well, let's put that intention out into the work. It'd be great to see that work. So yeah. anybody listening or watching this yeah. on a good project, let's get Errol's work out into the open. Let's bring it up. Yeah. Well, if you ever have a chance, I'd like to invite you over. I could show you a lot of slides of my older work. I, I would have. love that, Errol. I would really love to come over and, uh, and see so your studio, see your process. And I move and stuff, which will be in the end of April. Thank you so much for your time. This has been okay. a really great conversation. Great. I hope I hope every I hope I didn't get carried away too far and stuff. And no, not at all. That's what I was hoping we would get to. Okay, great. I hope you enjoyed it. I'm glad this computer worked. And I'll have to thank my son because he uses it at work for his patients. Yes, thank you so much, Errol's son. Yeah, <laughs> I'll tell him it worked out fine. <laughs> all right, Errol. Okay, bye. Take, Take care. care. And that is our interview. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Archives and Futures Season 2, the Latinx American podcast, was produced by me, Ivan Lozano, in Chicago, Illinois. Check out my work at ivanlozano.net or Ivan Lozano Studio on Instagram. And before we leave, some thank yous are in order. 
Thanks to La Spacer, Natalie Murillo, for our theme music. Go check her out at laspacer.com. And to the current and former team at the DePaul Art Museum for making this exhibition and this podcast season happen. In no specific order, thank you to Julie Rodriguez-Winholm, Mia Lopez, Jamie Cooley, Yoni Behar, and Laura Caroline Delana. I couldn't have done this without all of you. Until next time. Bye.